Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Monday, February 27th. 21 degrees currently here in Old Town Park City with some light snow showers falling in Old Town Park City. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geepoy. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Happy Monday. Hope that your work week has gotten off to a good start. And we talked about it last week that we are going to be moving into an active pattern and this pattern is going to be sticking around through at least the first portion of the work week. And for the Wasatch back, we're currently under a winter storm warning that will continue through five o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. So we're going to be seeing more times of snow continuing more or less over the next 72 hours. There will be some breaks in the action, but we're still going to be keeping a pretty high chance for snow over the next few days. So today that snow chance around 80%, but I think it's probably a fair fair to say that we'll definitely be seeing more times of snow, maybe a little bit of a break from mid morning into the early afternoon. But with a system coming in later today into this evening, we're going to see more snow. And then we got another cold front that'll be coming our way as we go from Tuesday night into Wednesday. So just plan on slippery conditions if anyone plans on heading outside. Today, the daytime high will climb to 34 degrees. Again, still going to be exclusively snow in Park City. Then as we go into tonight, the low dropping to 17 degrees. And with some breezy conditions, there will also be the potential for some blowing snow. We could see some snow drifts, which could lead to some issues in of itself. As we get this winter storm morning with maybe some wind gusts as high as 40 miles per hour this afternoon through tonight. And then snow will be likely tomorrow before 11 o'clock. Maybe a little bit of a break during the afternoon all ahead of that next cold front that'll be arriving and that'll bring us more chances for snow Tuesday night into Wednesday and the daytime highs will also drop a little bit tomorrow the high will only top out at 26 and will be in the upper 20s on Wednesday and by the time all is said and done with this winter storm warning through five o'clock on Wednesday we could pick up an additional six to 14 inches in the Wasatch back However, in the Ogden Valley, so just north of Park City, we actually could do even better than that, maybe getting 10 inches plus. So healthy snow accumulations are expected and even more expected for the mountains. Thursday, we should see calmer weather. We'll get partly sunny skies, still going to be chilly. Winds will be out of the north with a daytime high of 25 degrees. A weak system could move in on Friday to bring us another chance for some snow with a daytime high of 24, mostly calm on Saturday. Then we could bring back another chance for snow Saturday night into Sunday. But I think the system on Friday not going to be too strong. We'll have to wait and see what the Sunday system looks like. But from today through Wednesday, just be prepared for some active weather, Leslie. Okay, Thomas, thank you. And with a look in the backcountry on the phone with us from Utah Avalanche Forecast Center, we've got Dave. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing great, thanks. Good. Yeah, for today, we're looking at a considerable avalanche danger um, on upper elevation slopes for wind-drifted snow avalanches. Um, humans are likely, likely to trigger an avalanche that could be one to three feet deep and up to 150 feet wide. And the avalanche danger is moderate on mid and lower elevation slopes uh, where human triggered avalanches are possible on density changes within that new snow. Um, there's been more snow in the Provo and Ogden area mountains. And so the avalanche danger um, is also considerable in those zones at mid elevations. Okay, thanks Dave. Well, stay tuned. Coming up on the local news hour this morning, I'll be checking in with uh, ski historian and storyteller Tom Kelly about his presentation happening March 1st for the Park City Museum. With our Youth Athlete Report, Park City Ski and Snowboard Cross Country Director Emma Gerard with an update on the cross country teams and Park City Chamber Bureau CEO Jennifer Wesselhoff in with an update on the lodging numbers and how you can get involved in the business survey that is underway.
Again, taking a look at uh, snow report, we've got eight new inches reported at Park City Mountain. They've got all 40 lifts. Uh, 333 runs open today with 141 of those runs groomed overnight. Silver Queen and Pine Draw are today's groomers picks of the day. And Deer Valley reporting four inches of new snow with 21 lifts, 103 runs, and 69 of those groomed, including Nabob and Bluebell. We'll have 20 kilometers of track groomed at White Pine Touring Center. Recommended, though, that you stay on the 3, the 5, or the Armstrong Loop for best conditions. And uh, taking a look at the regional grooming, we've got uh, the Sandoville Basin grooming Crooked Mile and 224 Quarter there along Kimball Junction area. And in Round Valley, they'll be cat grooming pretty much everything out in uh, Round Valley with the exception of Valder Road, Barrel Road, Hanscom, maybe getting a touch up there on Land of Oz. And the Wasatch Trails, no report there, but encouraging snowshoers to go help pack those single trap track trails. Well, local politicians and resort leaders convened last week to learn about a new idea to tackle Park City's traffic woes. KPCW's Parker Malatesta reports. Park City resident and public transit advocate Bill Sirocco presented a bold transportation solution for Summit and Wasatch counties to a special meeting of the Park City Rotary Club Tuesday. Several elected officials, business leaders, and representatives from Park City Mountain and Deer Valley Resort were in attendance. The idea came to him after he was inspired by a plan to redevelop the old Rio Grande train station in Salt Lake City. He reached out to the landscape architect and transportation engineer who designed the proposal. They started talking back and forth near the end of 2021, discussing how the plan could extend into the Wasatch back. Christian Lenhart, the engineer, said the redeveloped Rio Grande could have room for two new rail lines that could run along I-80 east of Park City and west to Tooele. That's where Sirocco took it a step further, working with them to draw up a concept for how the train could go up Parley's Canyon, make the turn at Kimball Junction, and work its way into Park City. Sirocco emphasized at the Rotary meeting that the ideas were conceptual and high level, or as another put it, a pie in the sky. Something like what we're going to show you happens one step at a time, and you need to start with step one. And step one is all of you convening here today to hear these ideas, discuss them, and ask questions. Their design makes several predictions about the future of development in the Wasatch back. Sirocco said he sees the Harmons project currently in front of the Snyderville Basin Planning Commission as potentially the first step of a major redevelopment of the Outlets Mall. By directing the train through that area, it avoids the I-80 SR-224 interchange. From the Outlets, it would head to a transit stop at the proposed Dakota Pacific mixed-use development in Kimball Junction. That, that application is problematic, but if we had a big transportation solution, that went with that project, maybe it wouldn't be as problematic. From Kimball Junction, the train would run down the SR-224 corridor into Park City proper. Instead of the Old Town Transit Center, they see the main hub in the city as the city-owned land at the intersection of Bonanza Drive and Kearns Boulevard that was previously envisioned as an arts and culture district as the best spot for a rail station. Um, the city is about to to hire a vendor and launch a small area plan for that district. Um, and when we considered all the possibilities for Park City, um, it really became apparent to us that that part of town really needs to be part of our transit solution. Cameron Blakely, the architect, said from there people could take a gondola to Park City Mountain or a people mover with a few cars on a single track line up to Old Town. Sirocco said the people mover wouldn't require a driver and could be programmed to suit demand. 
From the Arts and Culture District Station, they proposed another train connection running along the rail trail through Prospector to Richardson Flat. From there, it could run further into Summit County, servicing Silver Creek Village, Promontory, and eventually Wanship, Hoytsville, and Colville. They proposed that a central location at Richardson Flat could also allow for a rail connection to the Heber Valley. Soraka said he's had brief discussions with representatives of the Larry H. Miller Group, who own a substantial amount of land in Richardson Flat, and Dakota Pacific, as building transit lines there would require their permission. When asked if the Utah Department of Transportation would ever comply with such an unorthodox train plan, Lenhart said residents need to voice that they don't want to see more car-centric development, pointing to a discussion UDOT had in 2017 about building a double-decker freeway on I-15. Our legislators who, who control the budget for this department and say this is the kind of things we want our money spent on. We don't want this earmark going to uh, double-stacking I-15 or, or, or widening things beyond uh, what a reasonable person would say. It's, it's, there's been a deficit. You know, cars are not evil, but they're part of a healthy, balanced breakfast, and we've been gorging too much on that particular bowl of cereal. Sirocco encouraged those passionate about the plan to attend the Park City Council retreat next Thursday and Friday, where a deep dive on local transportation is scheduled. Parker Malatesta, KPCW News. Well, on Wednesday, ski historian and storyteller Tom Kelly will be making a presentation for the Park City Museum at its Education Center in Prospector. Tom joins me now in the studio with details. Good morning. Morning, yeah. Leslie. Beautiful so, snowy day, huh? Yeah, yeah. So the topic is ski and snowboard heroes of Park City. I, is that possible to narrow down to an hour's talk? Well, you have kind of come to the crux of the challenge, <laughs> Leslie. It's, you know, when I, 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 I talked to the museum last fall, and I said, well, what would you like to do for a presentation this year? And I just kind of randomly came up with this, uh, Ski and Snowboard Heroes of Park City. And I thought, well, I can put together a nice talk with maybe a dozen people. And I think I'm up to 30 right now, and I'm trying to establish qualifying criteria that will make it manageable. But I think it'll be a fun walk through time uh, to uh, look at some of the folks going all the way back to Alf Engen, who while not a parkite uh, himself was certainly legendary and the Ecker Hill ski jumps the remnants of which are still there in Pinebrook are a great part of our history and all the way up to people like Ted Ligeti and Colby Stevenson Alex Hall and some of the stars of today so it's happening again Wednesday March 1st 5 to 6 p.m. Um, who how did you decide then who to choose and focus on? So, it was. It's it's been an interesting process, and I will say it is still ongoing. But I've I've, you know, having worked in this space for a lot of years here, I have a pretty good understanding of who everyone is. But trying to come up with you know a, a kind of a selection criteria of sorts. So what I looked for for were people who had a direct connection to the community of Park City during their competitive years. And we've made a couple of exceptions to that, for example, with Al Fingen, but, but in general, I wanted people who either grew up here, had moved here, stayed here uh, during their competitive time period. And, and, and that brings in a lot of people. And it's fascinating to see how many people have moved here. I mean, Colby Stevenson moved here when he was uh, four years old. The Wilson brothers, Brad and Brian, they moved here from Montana. Joe Pack moved here from New Hampshire. And we really adopted these athletes as our hometown heroes. So I was really looking for people who've really made Park City their home. And then, of course, you have the homegrown athletes like Ted Leggetty, uh, who's probably the single best example of an athlete who was born here, grew up here, and has, has really been a part of the fiber of the community since he was a young boy. 
Yeah. Um, so you are narrowing it down then to a dozen, or what no, are you trying to touch I, on I, about gonna, 40 of them? I'm, I'm going to rapid fire here. So, <laughs> folks, you're not going to learn the intimate details of everyone's life on Wednesday, but we're going to touch on a lot of people. So uh, I'm probably going to end up with about 25. So you can do the math on that, and uh, we'll have a little image of them up on the screen, and I'll just tell some stories about them and how they got here and how they be- had their success and what they accomplished in their career. And what I hope to... to to bring out of it for folks here in the community is to get a deeper understanding of how important this culture of sport has been here in Park City. We all know it, you know, from the Olympics in 2002, but it goes back way beyond there. It goes back to people like Mel Fletcher. It goes back to uh, Jim McConkie. And some of these folks were here for many times and were formative and some, you know, just spent a short time here like Jim. I'm actually going to kick it off with one uh, uh, Emmett Bud Wright, and I don't know how many folks out there know Bud Wright, but if you walk Main Street, you can see his statue but going back into the early part of the 20th century uh, he was a local he grew up here in park city was really the first one to really actively get on skis and get up in the mountains and his job was to manage the phone lines between park city brighton and alta so during the winter he would go up there and he would ski from mining camp to mining camp and because the city officials knew that he skied if there was a big cornice up on the mountain and they wanted to get that knocked down for avalanche danger uh, they would they would call on bud to go up there so yeah he wasn't an athlete per se but he really is where it all started here in park city yeah so where do we get his history from i mean there's books about them or I mean how do you know about them about bud bud Mm -hmm. so we are super blessed here in this community to have the Park City Museum not just for the displays that it has on Main Street but for the educational resources the museum has done just an amazing job you can go on to their website uh, or you can read the park record each week and the recording of history of our community so there's a great history of bud Wright uh, that, that that's available out there and thanks to the Park City Museum for really perpetuating these these great old stories yeah so do you have a book in here somewhere well it was funny I was thinking I, I, I certainly didn't start out that way but I, I'm kind of thinking there probably is a book here uh, at some point because these are, are really good stories and I think some of them are going to be known to people in the audience and I hope some of them are new and I wish I had more time to go into detail on all of them but you're going to get a real taste of uh, these athletes who have really uh, you know fostered this, this spirit of sport in our community of Park City Sure. Okay. So I'm guessing you'll touch on Stein Erickson as well. Yep. Stein Erickson, an important part of this. And of course, Stein was not here in Park City when he won his medals, but it became his adopted home uh, really now uh, uh, over 40 years ago. And uh, we were just honored to have him make this his home. You can go and see his medals up at Stein Erickson Lodge. So yes, he will be a part of this as well. Okay. And then some of the more modern athletes as well, starting with what, Lindsey Vann. Well, Lindsey Vann uh, and some of the women ski jumpers from the early days, Lindsey Vann and Sarah Hendrickson, both of them world champions. Uh, Lindsey actually in 2009 winning the very first world championship ever held for women. Sarah winning it four years later. Uh, so they will be a part of it. And then fast forwarding to modern days, uh, 2014 was an amazing Olympics for Park City with Josh Christensen uh, winning the first slope style Olympic event in, on, on skis and Sage Kotzenberg winning it on uh, snowboards. And we've kind of continued that tradition. Alex Hall, who moved here for the Park City Winter School. Uh, uh, he won the gold medal uh, in uh, uh, 
uh, slope style in uh, 2022. Colby Stevenson winning the silver in Big Air and just winning the King of Corbett's a few weeks ago up in Jackson Hole. And of course, Ted Ligety, uh, the homegrown boy who uh, got his start kind of forerunning for the 2002 Olympics and went on to win two Olympic gold medals. So lots of really uh, cool stories. And then one to throw in there has been having a lot of success lately. The Freestyle Aerials uh, team, they won the gold medal a year ago in Beijing, uh, upsetting the Chinese on their home turf. Uh, and they won the world championship last week again to double up on it. So uh, Ashley Caldwell, Chris Lillis, and Justin Schoenefeld, they all make Park City their home right now and their training base. So uh, lots of stories to go over on Wednesday. Okay. So kind of a ski history fire hose of information here. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'm, I'm good at that. So uh, bear with me, folks. You're going to get a lot of intel in an hour. <laughs> okay. Do people need to register to show up or do they just show up? No, it's free. You can just show mm-hmm. up. And it is at the Park City Museum's Education Center, which which is in Prospector right next to the Grubstakes. So don't come to the museum up on Main Street. It's over in Prospector. I would say get there early. It's at 5 o'clock this Wednesday uh, at the Education Center in Prospector. Okay. Anything else you want to mention? No, just uh, happy to invite everybody to come out. We've had a great winter, had a wonderful weekend skiing, and uh, look forward to more to come. Okay, Tom, thanks. Thanks, Leslie. Tom Kelly again. uh, He'll be at the Park City Museum Education Center Wednesday at 5 p.m. Well, a month after the first in-person Sundance in three years, there's new data that gives us a sense of just how busy it really was. KPCW's Connor Thomas has the details. The Park City Chamber of Commerce says preliminary data shows visitation for the 2023 Sundance Film Festival was down 20% compared to before the pandemic. But Park City still saw crowds in gridlock. By all accounts, the town was just as busy as it was during Sundance 2020. Dan Howard is Vice President of Communications for the Chamber of Commerce, which keeps tabs on the town's economy. They saw a lot of traffic on that first weekend, but honestly, by the second week of Sundance, Things were actually moving pretty smoothly through town. Statisticians and government officials use hotel and short-term rental occupancy rates to estimate how many visitors Summit County gets during Sundance. Howard said occupancy seemed high because far more skiers were in town during the 10-day time period. Isn't like it's exclusively Sundance driving that occupancy because we also were in the middle of a really strong ski season in January. And... So we had some good numbers, but it wasn't attributable completely to Sundance driving that occupancy. He said that more skiers and fewer moviegoers overall is not a bad thing for the town, economically speaking. In the tourism world, our ideal scenario is being able to have Sundance in town instead of 100% virtual, but not have it disrupt the town and not have it displace opportunity to ski when we only have 16 weeks a year that we can ski. Um, it's important that those 10 days of Sundance be a combination of both moviegoers and skiers. This February, the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah released the annual State of Utah's Tourism and Travel Industry Report. It uses different data sources than Park City, but their numbers confirm that overall visitation was the same during Sundance 2020 and Sundance 2023. Jennifer Lever, the report's author, said from January 19th to January 29th this year, hotels were 62.7% full and short-term rentals were 63% full in Summit County, virtually the same numbers as Sundance 2020. Visitation took a hit in 2021 when Sundance went virtual and recovered negligibly the following year. But in 2023, Sundance went hybrid, showing movies in person for the first time since 2020 as well as online. 
The university also confirmed that the ski industry is strong. The 2021-2022 ski season saw all-time highs in visitation and total skier spending statewide. That's without much help from international skiers, too, whose visitation rates have not yet recovered from the COVID-19 pandemic. Time will tell if this year's heavy snowfall increased skier and skier spending even further. Park City's Chamber of Commerce publishes data on future bookings, which helps the city know how many visitors to expect in the future. As of February 15th, fewer rooms were booked for the next two months in 2023 than were booked in 2022. More information can be found in the online version of this report. Connor Thomas, KPCW News. Well, a multicultural night at uh, Heber City School will celebrate cultures and countries from South America to Europe. KPCW's Ben Lasseter has more on that. The first-time event Monday at Tempanogos Middle School will highlight 17 countries represented by students, families, staff, and community members associated with the school. Tempanogos Middle School Family and Community Engagement Coordinator Yuri Jensen said the event has been in the works for a long time. We want to promote inclusion and culture awareness as we celebrate and respect diversity in our school community. Every table is going to host a country and we're all going to have display boards. We're going to talk a little bit about interesting facts from the country and we're also going to provide samples of traditional foods, desserts and drinks. So we're very, very excited for this event. She said there will be 18 different kinds of food from around the world, music, dancing, and prizes for those who visit all the stations of the different countries. The Wasatch High School Jazz Band will perform, as well as Peruvian, Mexican, Bolivian, and Irish dance groups from the Heber Valley, Salt Lake City, and Logan. The Latino Parents Leaders is one of the organizations helping to run the event. Jensen said it formed two years ago and has since become a group of 42 parents who support student achievement, events, and relationships between families and school staff. Timpanogos Middle School Principal Jim Judd credited the Latino Parents League for making the Multicultural Night happen, as well as the Wasatch Parents Network. That's a group that evolved from the local parent-teacher association to support student academics and extracurricular endeavors. This group of parents, um, in, in collaboration with, with me and the school, kind of looked at what kinds of things they can do to um, just bring that community into a more... Uh, harmonious and productive relationship with the rest of the community. So this is kind of our first event where both of these different parent organizations are trying to celebrate an event together. The Multicultural Night Monday at Tempanogos Middle School is open to the community and lasts from 6 to 8 p.m. Jensen and Judd said the goal is to start strong with this inaugural celebration and do it again in future years with more countries represented. Ben Lasseter, KPCW News. Joining me now in the studio with an update from the Park City Ski and Snowboard Cross Country teams, I have Director Emma Gerard. Good morning. Thanks, Leslie, for having me. Yeah, so kind of given all of the snow um, we've had this winter, how are the conditions? It hasn't certainly not hard and fast like it's been in the last few years. We're super excited to have this much snow and know that we can ski uh, late into March. Um, you know, last year this time there was very little snow and it was hard to know if we'd make it to you know, beginning of March. So we're super excited. I mean, it has made uh, some practice, having some practices challenging, um, but for the most part, we've been consistent with our, with our training and we've had some great uh, success this year yeah, with our programs. Them, I was going to say, it makes them stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Have to, to plow through that soft snow. Yeah. So you had the Intermountain Youth Championships this weekend at Soldier Hollow. Who, who was competing at this? Yeah, we had uh, 14 different clubs from um, all over the U.S., but mostly from the Intermountain region, um, and there was 290 participants. Um, it's the first time we've hosted the event since 2015, 
So we were super excited to have it again. Um, it's really catered to younger kids um, of all abilities. Um, so yeah, just a super fun, inspiring event that uh, um, yeah, kids love love to go to. And um, there's a big focus on sportsmanship and teamwork and and things like that. So um, lots of super happy kids um, really learning about the culture of Nordic skiing and um, yeah, getting excited. Yeah. So did you have kids then from from all of your different clubs compete or just the competition team? Uh, no, we had we had kids mm -hmm. again from all abilities. Mm -hmm. So um, kickers and gliders, Devo, uh, comp team. Um, we encourage racing at all abilities, okay. um, not just the comp team. And uh, yeah, we had 54 Park City Skiing Snowboard athletes um, competing. We were the second largest team besides Sun Valley. Sun Br Valley brought down uh, 70 athletes for this. Wow, that is big. Um, so how did they do? Yeah, they did great. Um, you know, it's we're just super proud of any kid that gets out there and does a sport as hard as cross-country skiing and, and often with a smile on their face. Um, we had a number of kids uh, win their races um, and, uh, yeah, so support each other out there. And, you know, there were lots of kids that were racing for the first time. So uh, we ended up getting third in the team competition um, behind Sun Valley and Bozeman. Okay. Um, and so what events were they participating in? Uh, they started off with a skate race uh, Saturday morning, and then we did a downhill obstacle course that really showcased our kids' skills. And then Sunday morning was a classic mass start race. Okay. And then do the kids in the programs and then they compete in all of those events then? Yeah, they Just could do one race or they could do all three. So most, most did all three, um, but some you know, due to other commitments on the weekend, did, did just one race. Yeah, and then different lengths for the yeah, different yeah. ages? Yeah, so uh, what distance you do is based on your age group. So the youngest will do one kilometer, and then the oldest in this race did 3.3 kilometers. Okay, so the, the folks that did well, then did they move on, you say, to the junior championships? N not, not at this age. Mm -hmm. This is all... Um, you know, really about fun, fun and competition, but you're not qualifying for anything here. It's the older comp athletes that um, do uh, junior national qualifiers during the season and um, in the, with the goal of qualifying for junior nationals. But this is all about fun, fun and inclusion and embracing competition. Okay, so do you have some athletes then going on to world junior nationals? For junior Nationals, which is in Fairbanks, we don't have anyone that qualified for World Juniors, um, which already happened actually in, um, that was in Canada um, earlier in January. But we, ha we qualified 10 athletes for Junior Nationals, which is our most ever with two um, athletes as altern alternates. And then we also have two alumni that are chose to race for the Intermountain Division that are currently competing for Division One college teams that are coming to compete at Junior Nationals. So 14 total, um, which is, is really awesome. We're super excited about it. So where are those being They're held? in Fairbanks, Alaska okay. in March. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what else is going on? Yeah, I mean, those are, you know, it's a big, big event to put on this weekend. And um, yeah, the kids qualifying for Junior Nationals and then uh, the rest of our comp team will do a race in March in Truckee, California, called the Western Club Champs that we're super excited about. And yeah, we've got 
um, kind of an extended season this year. So our, we've got an, another local race, um, Wasatch Citizen Series, also in March. But yeah, just uh, keep on keep on running our programs and uh, getting more kids introduced to, to skiing. Okay, I was wondering, do do the kids compete in that Wasatch Citizen Series? Oh yeah, races? yep, yeah. yep, yep. Mm-hmm. We try to get. We usually have about fifty local kids participating in each. Uh, Wasatch Citizen Series race, so. Okay, and again, the programs run through mid-March? Yep, yep, yeah, we're kind of, we had canceled a few practices because of, um, you know, lack of grooming or too much snow, so uh, we were kind of extending the season a little bit, um, and then the, the comp kids will, will train through the end of March anyway just to maximize those hours on snow. Great, okay, anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, thank you, yeah, thanks for having me, okay. Leslie. Thanks, Emma. Emma Gerard, again, is the director of the Park City Ski and Snowboard Cross Country Team. Well, the Summit County Council held a final work session with Dakota Pacific last week. It's the first meeting between the two parties since a controversial bill passed the Utah State Legislature. KPCW's Connor Thomas was there and has this report. The council and the developer spoke against the backdrop of Senate Bill 84, which passed the Utah Legislature last week. Language in SB 84, which originated in House Bill 446, seems to give Dakota Pacific the rights to build its mixed-use development in Kimball Junction without council approval. Council Chair Roger Armstrong asked the developers specifically if their lobbyists wrote the underlying bill, HB 446. CEO Mark Stamworth answered, We do work with lobbyists just as the county does. Uh, Our lobbyists did have contact with respect to HB 44, uh, I don't even remember, 446, Uh, in terms of drafting the legislation, that was really a a push from the drafting uh, legislator, uh, from the the authoring legislator with input. Obviously it had to do with our project, Kimball Junction, they needed input. So there was communication there. The other question that kept bubbling up at the Wednesday work session was whether Dakota Pacific Real Estate can make changes to its latest development proposal. It seems like the answer is no. The developer said making changes to the current plan would be too complex, and a public meeting was not a productive forum for those sorts of negotiations. The rest of the work session boiled down to a debate about Summit County's affordable housing needs. Some on the council worried that including too many market rates in the proposal would create a need for more services, more workers, and consequently, more affordable housing. Armstrong used the metaphor of digging a hole. We got this hole, you got this to put into that hole, and when you do that, it's going to leave a hole. But Stanworth emphasized what he called economic diversity, saying there's a strong need for diversity in the Kimball Junction area. We're talking about a, an economic diversity hole. We're talking about a walkable community hole. We're talking about a where do seniors live hole. If, if we focus on one hole at the expense of all the other holes, I think that's a disingenuous argument. The council and the developer found themselves in an impasse for most of the meeting. Multiple council members asked Dakota Pacific how willing they were to make changes to their proposal. Council Vice Chair Melina Stevens asked about mandating owners use the units as their primary residences to no avail. Council Member Tanya Hansen asked Stanworth if he could live with 500 units instead of 727, if that would pencil out, but he said it wouldn't. Based on the ratios that we have right now of affordability and, and otherwise, that is what pencils. The latest development proposal remains unchanged heading into public hearings over the next couple of weeks. The Council has scheduled public hearings for March 1st and March 8th. It is scheduled to vote on Dakota Pacific's proposal March 15th. Connor Thomas, KPCW News. Well, a pack of skiers and riders adorned with rainbow flags took a long run from one of Park City Mountain's highest points Saturday as part of the week-long Queer Ski Celebration. KPCW's Ben Lasseter was there and has this report. 
The ski parade was part of the finale for a three-day winter pride event in Park City. Dozens of skiers and boarders formed the long procession, which began with panoramic views at the top of the McConkie's Lift on a sunny afternoon. With pride flags tied around their shoulders as capes or tucked into their goggle straps, they cruised through Georgiana and Home Run to Snowed Inn for a midday luncheon party. Michael Ackerman said it was all about having fun with good people. We were sitting at the top of McConkie's with a beautiful view, uh, rainbow flags flying everywhere. Everybody is bright, happy, cheerful uh, to go do this run together. This was the first year for the parade. Ackerman said the event at the mountain was a way to show off the success of the Queer Ski event and Park City LGBTQ plus task force. It brings people together. People from all different forms of life, people from all different parts of the world can come together to enjoy one sport. Liz Ruark just moved to Park City two weeks ago. She learned about the event on Instagram and wanted to support the cause. Uh, just support as an ally. Thought it'd be a fun time. I think it's very energetic. Everyone is having a good time and everyone's ready to hit some powder. After the run, most of the paraders stopped together at Snowed Inn near the base area, where the group had rented out the whole restaurant. 12-year-old August Kelly from Palo Alto was there with family, all wearing flags. They have a place in Park City and like to come out when there's fresh snow. She said she enjoyed the run, especially when some people on a lift above her showed some love. Well, I had a really fun experience because I was skiing down home run part and a guy on a lift was waving at me and I waved back and he screamed, we love you. And I said, thank you. And I just, I felt really special. Other queer ski events during last week included a meet and greet with the task force Thursday, followed by a dinner hosted by the Marcella Club. On Friday, they held an early morning first tracks ski at Park City Mountain and tea dance at Canyons Village. Ben Lassiter, KPCW News. Joining me now in the studio with an update from the Park City Chamber of Visitors Bureau CEO Jennifer Wesselhoff. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's start with the economic and occupancy report. We've been down with the lodging numbers, but it looks like the numbers are back up. They are. Yeah, numbers are looking pretty good for the start of 2023. Looking at January, and our numbers are only through January 31st, um, but looking at January, we finished occupancy at about 60% full compared to last year. That was at about 48%. So we're up 23, 24% last year compared to, or um, up this year compared to last year. And what's um, just as remarkable there is that our average daily rate, so the, the average price per room night, is also up significantly, um, up about 18% compared to last year. And, you know, normally you don't see that where both occupancy and average daily rates are up. Normally you see maybe occupancy growing and rate lowering. Um, so we're really happy to see that recovery happening in, in January. Yeah, I was going to say, um, these uh, rates got to be the highest ever. I would say so, um, you know, and we're so grateful that Sundance came back, even though, you know, their their numbers, as you stated in the last um, segment, were down a little bit compared to um, pre-pandemic years. I think that that was planned, you know, as they lessened their, their footprint a little bit, not knowing what coming back in person would be like. But looking at our occupancy numbers and seeing the, the growth in January, you know, and thanking Sundance for what they do for our community, it's a, it's a big Boone. So what used to happen, it seemed like, was that the, the rates were so high that it kept a lot of people out of town just because the, the rates were just crazy. Um, and it sounds like that maybe that's 
not the case anymore or we just have more people just for Sundance and the traffic that we saw was just from the Salt Lake Valley? I wish I could say we're looking at that data. We have some um, GPS phone data that can help us determine that. But when we look at occupancy and average daily rates for forecasting for the upcoming months. And like I said, we only have through the end of January. Um, we see January up 18% in rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, February is up 16%. March is up 13%. F- April right now is up 20%. So on average, we're seeing that growth of about 11% looking forward. But of course, that will come down as we try to maybe get some more bookings in month for those months. But overall, we're, we're looking really strong, especially when we look at occupancy. We also look at sales tax collections, restaurant tax collections. And actually, just last night, I received a report from Summit County, which reports their January and February tax collections. Keep in mind, that those are two um, those are representing the two months performance in arrears so that reflects November and December tax collections and with the exception of TRT all of the other tax collections are are really up or up significantly you know when you look at local sales taxes for January and February which is really November mm-hmm. December up seven percent restaurant taxes are surging up um, on average, 18% for those two months. And restaurant arts and parks are up about 6%. What what taxes are down for that November and December timeframe are the TRT taxes. So on average for November and December, taxes finish about 12% down. Yeah. So scheduled to, resorts are scheduled to remain open through mid-April. Are you seeing then strong numbers through through the season? Right now, when we look at that booking pace for April, um, our, our occupancy pace is slower than it was last year. Um, we're looking at February right now, occupancy being down um, 10%, March down about 13%, and April is, is down significantly compared to where we were as of January 31st last year. Um, but overall, when you look at that pace, occupancy is really only down about 5%. So we anticipate that we'll recover that. I think a lot of it is just the booking patterns of when people book their their hotels and when they book their vacations. Those uh, shorter booking windows have just collapsed um, since the pandemic. All right. Uh, let's see. You've got a business survey underway for Summit County businesses. What are you looking for? This is an annual survey that we do for the chamber really to look at what are the business's needs and how can we better provide services um, and benefits to both our members and the community at large. So this year we've actually opened the survey up to non-members as well because we want to hear from everyone. Um, Right now we have over 250 surveys. We're hoping that we get over 300. The survey was scheduled to close, but we left it open an extra day today so that I could help promote it on this um, on this local news hour in hopes that we reach that goal. Um, and it's really important. It helps guide all of our work for um, the short term and the long term. So we're asking uh, businesses what they like about what we do, what they think we can do more of, what are their biz- biggest issues, um, what are their biggest challenges, what role does government play in assisting them, what role do we play. Um, it, 
it's going to be very informative and we'll look forward to sharing the results with your listeners when we get those um, maybe at our next interview in March. Oh, that's soon then. Uh, that's soon then. Um, in terms of the, the, the number of member businesses, how many do you have? Just about 950, which okay. represents a significant number of um, businesses in Park City and Summit County. And what's interesting is I was just analyzing those numbers. Um, over 50% of those businesses are non-tourism. They would self-define themselves as non-tourism related businesses. All right. Well, so you do want to hear from a lot more because that would only still be a third um, and not even of the member stage. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we look at that. Usually when you look at um, data, 300 is that goal that you want to reach in order to have a, a good measurement of um, reliability. So we are hoping to, to reach that and we're really close. So please go to our Facebook page, to the Park City Chamber of Commerce Facebook page and businesses, um, both members and non-members can take the, the survey there. Okay. And we'll try and post that link um, when we post this interview as well and people can go there. Thank you. Okay. Okay, um, um, sustainable tourism grant, what's this? Yeah, I'm excited to have um, maybe Morgan, our Director of Sustainable Tourism, come and talk a little bit more about this grant program. As you may be aware, prior to uh, arriving here in Park City, we had a grant for special events where we helped events with marketing and promotion. And given the, the shifts that are happening in the community regarding sustainable tourism and what some folks in the community call event fatigue. We are slowly and have over the last two years shifted that event grant now to be a sustainable tourism grant. Um, so all members are are eligible and the um, the information in the grant can be found at our parkcitychamber.com website. But it's really focused on um, nonprofits who are trying to support the goals of the sustainable tourism plan related to programming around cultivating local pride for Park City, um, implementing sustainable transportation, housing, water, energy, waste management practices. So events can, can certainly apply as well, but in the effort to try to mitigate their their impact on our communities. Um, so for additional recycling or composting, um, events like that or resources are available to help in help our event organizers really expand those efforts. Um, one of the programs that we funded through this tourism grant last year was working with the Mountain Trails and ba Basin Rec Foundation in order to create a comprehensive website that shows webcams and looks at the parking areas to help guide visitation and disperse visit visitation in order to, to mitigate that impact. Um, another was working with um, the Friends of the Ski Mining History in order to elevate the, um, the mining sites in the area and get them on the historic register. So really broadening the the goals of that tourism grant to be in alignment with the sustainable tourism plan. Okay, how many how much money do you have to to award? We will budget that in our upcoming budget. So the process starts right now for applications. Application um, deadline closes on April 28th, um, after which point we'll see the requests and 
we generally budget around $400,000 each year for the, that grant program, but that will be approved in our upcoming FY24 budget that starts in July and that'll be approved in June by our board. Okay, because you have grants up to 30 grand? We do. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and that money just comes through what? The TRT? Is yes. That where, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, before we get to some of the events, um, you've been following the state legislature. Anything to, re- to report there? We have a, a legislative update going out today. There's a couple of bills that we're specifically watching regarding the, the short-term rental bill, um, the alcohol omnibus, omnibus bill that we're watching that could potentially right now, it has some portability to allow patrons to transfer alcohol from like a bar or waiting area to their seats in the restaurant. Um, we're really advocating strong for that. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of those tourism-related bills we're, we're watching pretty closely, and I have a feeling it's about to get crazy in these next three days. Okay. Uh, let's see, you've got what you call Chamber Snow Day coming up at the end of March. What's this? This is a, a new program that we're introducing, and a lot of it is just in alignment with as we shifted our values of the organization to try to really serve the organization to, or, or, and the community and to have a little bit more fun. A lot of the programs that we do are professional based and skill building based and um, focused on networking. And we wanted to have something a little bit more fun that celebrates who we are as an organization and a community. And this is our first attempt at that to invite chamber members to join us for a day on the mountain. Uh, We'll be meeting for coffee in the morning at the base of Park City Mountain and then headed up on the um, slopes to ski together. So you can ski with our board members, ski with our staff, and really just get a chance to to know each other better and to celebrate our mountain lifestyle. And then at the end of the day, um, from three to six, we'll have a mixer at the Legacy Lodge. Um, And for those folks who don't have um, passes to Park City Mountain, we've um, organized discounted passes for folks. So we, you know, we really like most of the community to come and join us and have a little bit of fun, celebrate the great snow, celebrate our mountain lifestyle and get to know each other a little bit better. Okay. You have just a limited number of those day passes and those would go just to members. We do. Yeah. I think we have about 50 of those. We're assuming that most of the folks in the community have passes already. Um, And to not leave out Deer Valley or or Canyons Resort, our plan is in the summertime to do something at Deer Valley that's um, fun and outside. And then maybe next year, look at doing something at Canyons to kind of spread the love around and, and really get our locals out on the mountain. Okay. And again, people can get more. There's a link on the website then for that. Yep. All right. Um, Let's see. You've got other events happening. Tell us what's going on with the uh, virtual member showcase. This is tomorrow. We do. We have so many events coming up at the end of this month and moving into March. The virtual member showcase is really just an opportunity for our members to showcase what they do in a a virtual format. We record these and then also promote them on our Facebook pages and on our website. So we generally have four to five chamber members who really have about five to 10 minutes to tell us about what they do and why it's important in our community. We also have our, on March 1st, later this week, can you believe it's March already? We have our Park City Business University. Um, This is a a monthly program that's totally free for members and non-members. 
Um, it's a partnership with the Park City Referral Club. And this month, the topic is staff development and human resources. Great program at the Blair Education Center. You do have to RSVP. Lunch is included uh, March 1st, 1130 to, to 1 p.m. You can find more information on that at parkcitychamber.com. And then later this month, we have our business after hours mixer. This one's going to be at the Athletic Republic in Park City on um, March 23rd from 5 to 7. And we'll look forward to having a, a nice group of, we usually have about 50 to 60 members um, and non-members come to that event. And it's really a great opportunity. It's very informal and a nice opportunity to get to know folks in the community if you're trying to enhance your sphere of influence. Okay, and finally, we've got a date set for the 2023 Wasatch Back Economic Summit. We do. Mark your calendar, uh, Monday, March 22nd, the 2023 Wasatch Back Economic Summit. This is really a great regional partnership with the Heber Valley Chamber of Commerce. Last year, we did that at the Zermont. This year, we're going to be doing it at the Grand Summit here in Park City, uh, anticipating 400 to 500 people attending that event. And we're still working on the details of the agenda uh, for for the day, but mark your calendar. It's going to be a great day. Mark the whole day out um, and more information to come on that. Okay. And I don't know that we mentioned that it's March 30th is the uh, Park City Chamber snow day. So thank uh, you. Again, end of March there. All right. Anything else you want to mention? Just one more thing, if I may congratulate Brooks Kirschheimer, who's our chairperson of the board, also the owner of Leave Room for Desserts, which we all know is Hearth and Hill and Hill's Kitchen and Urban Hill down in Salt Lake City. That was just opened. He was named by the Utah Business Magazine as the top 40 under 40. And we're really proud of him and, and thankful for his service to our community and the board. All right. Congratulations, Brooks. Jennifer, thanks. See you next month. Thank you. Jennifer Wesselhoff is CEO of the Park City Chamber and Visitors Bureau. Well, after trying out a new voting method in 2021, the Heber City Council decided to keep the system in place for elections this year. Back in 2021, the city opted to use ranked choice voting and the council voted unanimously Tuesday to do so again. Traditionally, the city would hold a primary election and let voters choose three total candidates for the three seats that are up for the new terms. Instead, Heber voters will once again rank as many candidates as they wish to support in their order of preference. Councilmember Rachel Kaler said she voted against ranked choice voting back in 2021, but she has since changed her mind. I do think ranked choice voting allows for a shorter election. It allows for people to campaign when people are paying attention instead of trying to campaign for a primary and then for the general. And for that reason, I'm in favor of it. Other council members said that it does work for small areas such as Heber City. A link to more on ranked choice voting and detailed voting results of the municipal election is available in the web version of this report at kpcw.org.